Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're measuring flicks Going Hey! What show are we on? Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks. My name is Carl Hartley. My name is Max Peterson. Hey! hey. hey. <laughs> Alright, so. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Alright, this is it. The last week of Max's Max Flick Picks. <laughs> Your Flick Picks, bro. <laughs> Boy, you have had a month. Let me just say, we're finishing strong. Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah, Only Lover, we're doing uh, 2014's Only Lovers Left Alive, directed by Jim Jarmusch, starring Tom Hiddleston, Tilda Swinton, John Hurt, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Mia Wasikowska, and Anton Yelchin, R.I.P. Boy, dude, you've had a month. You have had (laughs) quite the month, sir. I'm looking at my, next month is my birthday month, Uh and I'm looking at some of the, some of my favorite films are on that month, and I'm like, shit. Oh, I need to come correct. I'm like, I'm starting to get a little <laughs> bit panicky. I'm like, oh god, because this is um some big shoes to fill with with leading up to this movie, which is by far my favorite of the four that have been in yeah, your mouth. Yeah, Night on Earth. I I had s- this was my introduction to Jim Jarmusch. This is now my. This is firmly in my top five. This is one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen. It's ever. It's spectacular. It's 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 in Night on Earth. I mentioned something about, am I enjoying this movie because I'm supposed to enjoy this movie because it's kind of art housey and right. it's Jim Jarmusch and it's a unique way to tell a story. From the moment that the first title card came up to the very end of this movie, I was, uh, I was I'm, just my yeah, hair is goose, standing mind, up just thinking too. about this movie, dude. It is. This movie was written. I feel like it was written specifically for me. Like it's my movie. Like Jim Jarmusch somehow knew just the right the right <laughs> buttons to push and the exactly right things to I say, feel. and and he just like here, Carl Hartley. Is mm-hmm. that? It? I've never met you before. I made you a film. But I made you a movie. <laughs> like, that is literally how it's been. Like, I want to fucking cry right now. It's so, um, oh. just to, so the, to give you some sort of perspective on this, as soon as this movie ended, my girlfriend, Danielle, as, as I want to talk about her on this podcast from time to time, mm-hmm. she was in a tech rehearsal for a show she's in. So I had the house to myself. After watching this, I was I drank more Jameson than I should have because I'm like I have to write something, I've got to do something, and I got a little lit. Yeah, I got just a just little a bit whiskey lit. drunk, <laughs> and I couldn't wait to like tell Danielle about this movie because I'm like, can we be Adam and Eve? Like I just like, can you will you be my vampire forever? Can we like yeah. read all the books and listen oh to all the music God. that's ever existed? Mm-hmm. So she gets home and I've had like three hours to just like get whiskey drunk and like think about this movie. And she, <laughs> She comes home from a long fucking tech rehearsal. Exhausted, yeah. Exhausted. As soon as she hits the door, I'm like, honey, our collective favorite director is no longer Steven Spielberg. It's Jim Jarmusch and Only Lovers Left Alive. And I just was talking really loud at her. (laughs) And she looks at me. She's like, okay, how much have you had to drink? I'm like... All the all the Jameson, all of it. <laughs> all of it. Honey, I know it's eleven thirty. Do you want to watch this movie right now? <laughs> just, and she's like, No. 
No. <laughs> I just had a 12-hour tech rehearsal. No, I don't want to watch your stupid Jim Jarmusch movie. <laughs> You're like, how dare oh, you? Jerry, I was actually like a little offended hurt. and yeah. sort of hurt. I'm like, but, but this movie is everything. Why would you, Why say, would that? you say that? Why would you say that <laughs> so I almost uh, sort of ruined ruined it by yeah. just being so but that's what it did. It has got so Has excited. she seen it since? No. Not yet. Okay. No, because she just went into production on her show we're gonna wait. this weekend. We're gonna so wait. we're gonna wait for the right get her time in the right headspace. Because I was gonna start her with Night on Earth because I, but now it's like no. I think I'm just gonna start her right off only with, lovers left with alive. Only Lovers Left Alive. One of my now favorite I think second favorite movie. What's your number one? Was if if it goes between Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and The Last Starfighter. Ooh, that's a good yeah. solid movies. Yeah, Last Starfighter is more of the nostalgic thing, but it's for me. Yeah. This movie, every time I watch it, it hits number one. It becomes mm-hmm. my favorite film. Yeah. I think it is my favorite film. You know, as a, as a little bit of time passes, all bumps, uh, it'll kind of fall to like two, three. But then you watch mm-hmm. it again and you're like, why have I ever doubted you? My right. God, what a fucking movie. Um, yeah, this was the first movie, the first Jim Jarmusch movie I ever saw. And I came to it in a really weird way. I was barely aware of him as the guy who had done Stranger Than Paradise mm-hmm. or no uh, uh, Permanent Vacation and I was like yeah I mean, he's you know like I knew him as like indie director guy of the like Kevin Smith Spike Lee era right but I'd never seen anything and I was looking for writing music while I was working on my second screenplay third third screenplay and I went online and I was like, best film, best film soundtracks. Right. And then I was like, oh, these all suck because it was like, you know, big Hollywood it was like, movies. Like so I Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Like, so I looked you. up best indie film soundtracks and number one on like everybody's list at the time, because I looked it up in 2014 when the movie had Makes just sense, come yeah. out, was Only Lovers Left Alive. And I'm like, oh, this has Tilda Swinton in it. I love Tilda Swinton. And it's a vampire movie. Oh, this would be cool. Oh, cool. So I just kind of like, I started listening to the soundtrack. And that was like my writing music for, still is. I still spin this soundtrack. I showed you just before we yep. started recording, I bought this fucking thing on vinyl on the double LP, which you're telling me is now like- Like 300 bucks on eBay. Yeah, yeah, I got it the second, I got it while it was still in production. So it was fairly, oh, yeah. I think it's still like 50, but whatever. Um, so I'm like, I should watch this movie. I really like this music. I wonder what this flick is like. So me and Bird sat down to watch it. And when it was done, I was just like, Bird, don't say anything. Just let's just- just weeping not because it's sad but because i was like i cannot believe that a film like this exists i'm such a zombie it speaks it it literally this movie like reaches out its hands Mm -hmm. and like holds your heart in its hands the entire time and you're in good hands too holy shit what it tries to hurt you for a little bit but not in a way that's yeah, it, that's it, that's harmful. It's a it's like a growing pain in a way. When we watched Night on Earth and did fucking three hours, yeah, no shit. <laughs> oh my god! When we watched Night on Earth, we talked about um, how Jim Jarmusch will just he doesn't nothing that you see is colored by his intentions. Really, he gives you stuff to look at yep. and lets you make up your mind. I feel like this movie is that in. A billion ways. Yeah. Yes, he is. I think he's making he's stronger showing you, statements. I think he's showing you all the things that he loves through Adam and Eve's eyes. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the everything from his love of guitars and music oh, to literature to 
Well, technology, wall, even scientists, scientists, but his and, wall of heroes. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Adams. Yeah, Adams wall of heroes. heroes. Yeah, with Tesla and. Uh, yeah, the, Einstein. When and, I was watching oh it, so much of that was just when I watched it again this time. I just looking over that wall of heroes and writing. I don't have heroes, but writing down names. Yeah, and I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't. I want to learn about this person, right? Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, you can see where I was taking. I, I'm taking notes on the movie, obviously, and I had to stop doing what I was doing, which was writing down references to go and explore, go and explore. on my own yeah. time. I'm like, yep. I got to watch. I just got to watch the movie. But that's how I discovered like through Jim Jarmusch is how I discovered the band White Hills who mm-hmm. appears in this movie. Right. I just, they're the ones playing in the in the, uh, bar. in the bar. Yeah, their their shit's awesome. This is how I discovered Yasmin Hamdan, who sings um, uh, 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 Hall. That's that song that they hear in Tangier. She's also a real oh performer. God. She has like 10 so albums amazing. out. Go spin that shit, man. Yasmin Hamdan is killer. Oh, the music, the music in this is uh, is beyond. It's we were talking about how last time we were talking about how Jarmish makes you want to go and read more and yeah. listen to music and explore all of the things that he mentions. I mean the um, fuck, what's his name? William Laws, the composer. Mm-hmm. First thing I did when I stopped is I'm like, I wonder if I can find William Laws music online, and then you just sit and cry because it's the most beautiful the most shit beautiful you've, thing ever you've ever fucking yeah. heard. Um, this, yeah, like that's when I read Neil Gaiman or Mm -hmm. Ursula K. Le Guin or Harlan Ellison, when they mention other authors, I write them down. Stephen King. Oh, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go and discover a new author you love. Oh, that's the fun, that's the fun rabbit hole that, that writers and storytellers like this can put, they, they're giving you these gifts. They're giving you the a world. The world. This yeah. is this is it's going to sound so fucking cheesy. No, Whatever. Just say it, man. This movie has sort of become like my like a bible or like it's a reference for everything. It's like, "Ah, oh, I want to feel inspired. I don't know what to read. I don't know what to listen to. I don't know what to just spin this for a hot second and pick one thing yeah. and go learn about it." Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm, ex- you know I'm exactly I mean? the same it's way. Like, you just take his wall of, of heroes, pick right. one portrait on there, and go learn some shit about that person. It's right. going to change your life. Any of Eve's books. Any of them. Eve's books. I started thinking about the library in Alexandria and how fucking sad it is that all of that Was is lost. gone and lost. I'm like, the one the one takeaway from a very real sense from this movie is like, it's a vampire movie, but it isn't really a vampire movie. It's, they happen to be vampires. Yes. That's, but it lives, they live in the real world. I I think they're the ancient creatures. We call them vampires, but they're not your movie vampires. Not at all. They, the blood is their only source of, 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 of that's what they have to, to drink to survive. But it's also like, is super powerful, almost like drug. It's like a heroin in a way. There right. is a euphoria involved with their nourishment. Um, but I think they're more like just like the ancient ones. Yeah. And we have decided to call them vampires. So they're vampires, but they're not Hollywood vampires. They're what I think Anne Rice wanted to write, but, but failed to. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's I, not quite. I don't think I quite agree, but I get I get what you're saying. The like that the like regal and wise well they're named adam and eve and part of me thinks but they're not just I don't, like at jim drivers didn't just name them adam and eve that they are adam and eve oh you think yeah well i think but i don't know how old they are but them i don't eh, but it's probably not but if you watch again christopher marlowe is the one who he's sired the, okay he is the older one right, right yes right. and i'm pretty sure eve sired adam oh fair enough right as well, far it's as like, like the, that's those, the questions yeah. of this movie but the one thing, like, 
when we're talking about the searchers, like that movie made me mourn for that, that huge being able to say that on the big screen. Right. This movie made me realize, and I'm sure with many people that will watch this movie is like, you become very aware of your own mortality and how very little time you have to experience things. Yeah. They have multiple lifetimes and can learn. They have the time to, to leisurely take 84 years to write an album Yeah, where we don't have that time. Right. We have to choose the things that we spend our time on. Cause we don't have any time. And I was like, I started when Eve was packing her suitcase to, yeah. how many I times started did you crying. Cry? How many? I'm like, I will never, I, I can't even count. I was sort of constantly just on the verge I've seen of this movie four times. And this last time I watched it, I cried like four or five times. Yeah. Dude. I was crying. I'm like, I will never be able to read all of those books. Yeah, that's Even ex- if I spend every minute of the rest of the minutes that I have on this planet just reading, never get I home. won't even come close. And that is... I fucking lost my shit. That's what, about for this movie, that's what is so beautiful about it. And uh, there's a scene later in the movie when... Uh, we'll talk about him later, but mm-hmm. just Christopher Marlowe is a, yeah. is one of the vampires, and Christopher Marlowe dies. And watching something about watching these vampires mourn Christopher Marlowe's death, you realize it's not just that they've lost a friend, right? It's that they've lost one of the powerhouse, towering, creative artists mm-hmm. that has ever lived. And that art, that light of that art is now, is now snuffed gone. out. And they're mourning the loss of that too. Mm-hmm. When I, what I was thinking when I was, when Eve's packing up her suitcases and she's looking through her books, she has thousands of books. She's pulling she's, books from she's behind She's touching her. the pages. Well, she's, you notice that they have the, that touch power They thing. have touch power. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's why they're always wearing gloves. She can, and I, I love the, the, but I don't want to get off of it. Um, no, no, no. Go ahead. My thought when I was watching those bo- her pack those books, because she's reading books in Arabic, mm-hmm. and she's reading books in Chinese, and she's reading books in French and German, and there's some English. There's an English play in there. Um, I think it's. I, I'm not sure, but I think it's. Uh, I think it's either Mamet or Albie that she's reading. I I was trying to read the the, oh, just the, the to words get to get it, but it. Uh, anyway, she's reading in all these languages, and my first thought was like. I was like, oh my God, I, I would love to master French so I could read Baudelaire in French and master German so I could read. And then I started thinking, I'm like, I, it's, oh, wait. I don't have enough life to I le- want to learn Cantonese so that I can watch my Kung Fu movies and actually understand what the actors are saying. Right. <laughs> Instead well, of the, the subtitle. For me, it's like Mandarin when you and- read... Um, like like haiku, right? Mm-hmm. Haiku translated to English. You're like, wow, these are beautiful and profound. But I can't read them in Japanese. Right. But I do not have enough There's not life enough time. to learn the languages to read. Forget the fucking time it takes to actually read the the artwork, to read those to books. To read them, yeah. The time it would take me to learn the languages to experience that that piece of, of human art is there's not enough time in your life and it's it breaks your heart but at the same time it makes me just swell with look at how much art is in the world it's It's so fucking crazy and there's more being created every day eve has that even oh my god it's eve's little speech later is kind of the 
not the thesis. There is no. I don't think there's a there thesis. Isn't. No, it's this just is, like you said. Is this Jim Jarmusch is giving a, this to you? It's a yeah. It's a feeling. It's a it's a there's a jouissance to the movie. There's my French coming. There you go. Thank you. But um, when Eve has that moment later when she finds out that Adam had a wooden bullet made for his 38 so that he could maybe kill himself because mm-hmm. he's depressed because he's sad watching the zombies the humans the humans destroy their world to just and fuck everything up so bad that they've tainted their blood so that they're not pure anymore and i want to talk about the blood that's why i circled that because i think the blood yeah they is can't they're having a hard time metaphor. surviving because the humans have tainted themselves so much that they the purity isn't there for them to survive right they can't even drink human blood anymore because there's so much they call it's bad blood yeah if they drink this tainted blood they get really sick blood poisoning it's called they call it mm-hmm. um but uh, she, when she finds out Adam <coughs> is suicidal, she says this self-obsession is such a waste. I have a note on it. Um, the self-obsession is such a waste. You could spend that energy surviving things, appreciating things, spreading kindness. And then she pauses, uh, appreciating nature. And then she pauses and goes and dancing. And it's just like you realize that all these people, petty little shitty moments where you're just like god i hate work so much the world's gonna get me you could even if you're tired rather than sit there and be like i'm gonna fucking have a drink and just be mad at my boss you could you are time is so in the middle of everything well but also for them time is infinite but i think that's jarmish poking you and saying look they have infinite an infinite amount of time so he can brood for 20 years you don't you don't know Cantonese. You haven't heard all of Yasmin Hamdan's albums. No. You have never listened to William Laws. And you have a very short amount of time to do these things. So sitting there and feeling shitty or being lethargic or being like, ah, fuck it, I'm just going to get drunk. And you don't have time for that. Right. There's too much beauty for you to absorb. It's just, I know, I'm going to fucking cry if I keep talking. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but I just, Ooh. I love that so much because when you watch this movie, I feel like it's almost... It is, I, I was going to say it's like medicine, but it's not because it's so delightful. It's, yeah, because taking medicine, you always want to hold your nose and get it done. No, this is... This is the spoonful of sugar. You were right when you said Bible. Now, throw out all the like religious, the religious yeah. connotations, but a text that should define and guide and shape who you are as a, as a human being on the planet. Yeah. I think you could do much worse than... Have oh. this at the center yeah. of that to have this be the text, if you will, right. that you return to. Because if you watched this movie three times a year, how many times do you think you'd just fall into a funk and just lay around and do nothing? Oh God, no, never, nope, never. You'd be feeling down, and you'd you'd be like, I'm gonna go and listen to Nadja. I've never listened, to, or I'm gonna go and reread all of Shakespeare. I'm gonna find a new trail and walk it. I don't know. Fuck yeah, man! Like. We went for a walk yesterday. Uh, Bird and I took the dog for a walk right after I had spun this movie. And just walking, I was, I suddenly, re- we live in Michigan, re-saw trees. Yeah. It was so, in- it was such an incredible experience. I, I know that this sounds, for people who haven't seen this movie or who maybe don't have quite the sensibility that you and I might, this will sound so like weirdly like naive and shit. Yeah, yeah. But to like, See, Bird was Bird does this thing on her phone now. She has a cool app where you find new flowers or plants, oh, and you, cool. you take a snapshot of it and you build your collection. So it oh, gets you really out cool. into nature more. So 
seeing her seeing flowers, I was just like, look at that. Fuck. And then I started looking at the flowers. And then you see the flowers and you notice the trees and you're like, trees are. are And you realize like trees are so incredible. And you're like, (laughs) I never look at trees. It's like you're waking up a little bit. It's incredible. It's like, I don't want to say fluoride induced like zombie mode. But but in a weird way, man, like it's, it's true. You, it's so easy. Last summer, I'm sure you've had this experience too. Mm -hmm. You get into that work rut. Oh yeah. And then you get into a fog Mm -hmm. where if I were to ask you like, what'd you do yesterday? You'd be like, ah, I worked, I worked a day before. I think I, I watched like justified, like, you know, like it's, but in a weird way, this movie makes you want to experience something so powerful that every day of your life (laughs) makes an indelible impression on you. This is, oh God, it's. I've noticed with uh, with um, David Lynch, we struggle to describe how David Lynch is describing things. And with Jim Jarmusch, There's, we talk about everything but the movie. <laughs> yeah, no. Holy shit. No, you're right. We haven't even really talked about the movie at all. <laughs> well, the, but it's, it's the effect his films have on me, yeah. man. It's yeah. just it. Watching his movie makes you like. It, it's like he sees the socket in the wall that has all the fucking li- the life in it, yep. and he grabs you and plugs you in. Yep. It's like not even there. It's the movies are insanely they're incredible films, but all, the effect of the film is as great as the movie yep. is. You feel energized and oh shit, it's so good. All right, but let's actually talk about so, the film. So the movie is yeah. Adam and Eve. So the movie's just all right. No, I'm it's, just, it's just okay. <laughs> but at the beginning of the movie, um, they they are separated. She is living. Um, oh shit, uh, where is she? She's, She's in, in Tangier. In Tangier He's right. living in Detroit. In Detroit. In a um, basically one of the abandoned blocks. Yeah. Oh, the the Detroit in this is very real. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so, but the, you come to learn that they have been actually living apart for. A while, like 80 some years or something? Many years. They've yeah. been apart for many years because travel is very hard. Yeah. They have to fly, they have to do flights that take off and land at, at night. night because can't travel during daylight. Yes. Um, and they just, because they also have to go a fairly long time without blood while they're traveling too. It just yeah. takes a lot out of them. So when like both times they travel, we get those beautiful scenes of them just like, completely exhausted it's almost like hibernation yeah it's not even like they sleep hard in this movie but like after travel they're just like done just out so i like going into i thought that maybe something happened in their relationship or they had a fight and they didn't really care like their their love for each other is ridiculous yeah it's it's not even love it's something different than that it's because it's i feel like their relationship is because love is a human lifetime. Yeah, it's so. Inc- uh, what I love about this movie they is thousands of years as partners. Yeah, uh, Bird kept, Bird had a number in her head. I don't know where we got it from, but she thinks that Eve is a thousand years old. Okay, but so watching this movie, I realized that love, like that human love, with its like jealousy and sex and that stuff, lasts about a human lifetime. Right. And they have had so much more than that. Maybe it's a vampire thing, but I don't think so. We don't see sex at all in this movie. No, you see them laying together naked. They do, but you get the sense that that them laying together. Well, I I get the sense that seeing like seeing them lie together naked, their 
pleasure in each other's company yes is so much deeper than that like i'm gonna oh your breasts feel so good and here's my physical love it's not a physical love anymore it's a connection and a resonance with each other that's so deep that it is like gone further it's beyond the than physical, human love yeah. yeah it's weird like and no it's 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 all that is all there yeah and know? like when they're that's not a read on it that is like i think yeah it's textual it's I textual think. I think. when they're laying on uh when he's sitting on the couch after they've first been oh my god when they first meet at, when she she flies from tangier to detroit and he opens the door and comes out to her and they you, they don't rush into each other's arms they take time, time. and he he looks at her in the moonlight and just you can see him relishing just the sh- the look of her face and the light on her hair and you can get he like gets close and you can tell that he's when you smelling. have the time you don't have to rush you don't and I you're th- always stopping but I think part of the move part of the movie is suggesting that we take the time yeah because rushing through it's William like Laws a, or Shakespeare yeah. or whoever you is don't want to do that you don't want to ru- you, you know like we have a limited amount of time but so we should be constantly with an eye towards re- enriching our experience in our lives but also Taking rushing the time yeah like when yeah. her sister Ava shows up mm-hmm. she kind of shows us what happens when you I felt like she was invading my space as well is, yeah oh my god so, I was so fucking pissed at her when they finally kiss it's it's not that like lascivious like oh fuck you so bad mm-hmm. it's just like I've been away from you for so long everything in this movie is every time Adam or Eve interacts with something you, they're relishing it yes I think it's beautiful even later after Ava trashes his 1905 Gibson. Mm. Eve finds beauty. And drinks Ian. And drinks Ian. You, you drank drink Ian. Ian. But when... Uh, <laughs> I love that. I like that Eve has is holding a broken guitar in her hands. It's a shattered 1905 Gibson and you'd think... And it's it's heartbreaking because it's that's one of the older guitars that I can think of. So she's holding this shattered guitar... And she looks at it and she goes, oh, look how beautifully it's made inside. Oh, my God. She's even found. Broken thing. She's holding this broken thing and she's still appreciating the beauty of it. She's not like, I can't believe she broke this. What a bitch. She's like, wow, look how beautifully it's made inside. And she wouldn't be able to see how it's beautiful inside if it hadn't been been broken. broken. (laughs) Fuck me, dude. (laughs) Just Uh. everything they encounter, they... They relish it. And I think we're all humans, so we'll always fall short of perfection. We'll never oh, we'll never be able, but it's such a, it's a reminder. And they do, too. I mean, they call they us do. zombies, but they fall short of perfection. Absolutely. There are cracks in their armor They're totally well. fallible, yeah. I think it's... Um, when I, I started reading... I'm doing the, the uh, Chapman and Robin yeah, with yeah. Bird, and we're reading this like um, sort of modern homage to Victorian erotica and reading that and watching this movie in preparation for watching this movie (laughs) and listening to the soundtrack um when I I watched this movie yesterday and I'd watched it like two weeks before just to spin it and get it in my head Mm -hmm. like reading a book now I'm noticing the smell of the pages and the feel of the the paper oh my god yes enjoying 
it's so weird. You like become aware of like everything you could possibly be appreciating, and you just like, wow. I know, dude. It's it's so amazing. This movie is like being reborn. It's fucking awesome. Um. Oh, one of my fun notes because it's there because we talked about Roberto Benigni being my spirit animal in the on the night on Earth. Uh huh. So if Roberto Benigni is my spirit animal, these this is my spirit couple. Spirit like, couple. Like I want this is what I just like Adam and Eve. Like that. Just that's I think it's kind of what we all want in a way. That relationship. That, that kind of relationship. Yeah. I, Where it's not perfect. I mean there's It's yeah, there's but there's, there's this weird like just the way he like the way he looks at her when well, she shows up on the front doorstep and we should do you want to talk about spooky action at a distance? Which I think yeah. is why they we get that relationship because they are an example of it. Okay. Spooky action at a distance. I will probably not get it a hundred percent right. Okay. But it's a it's a, a theory. I think it's an Ein, it's one of Einstein's theories. Which and it's not it's not actually not a theory. It's proven. Oh, it's the the particles. Yeah. It's a proven fact. It was a theory when Einstein first came up with it, but it has since been proven. Which is. If you take an intertwined particle and split it apart and then put no matter the distance between those two particles now, the particle that has been intertwined and and you separate them, even across the universe, if you change something about one particle, the other particle, no matter how far away, will be altered in an identical fashion. Yeah. So it's... So what's the first thing we see in the movie is Eve and Tangier and Adam and Detroit. Detroit. And I think you can think of their relationship as an intertwined particle and spooky action at a distance, which is literally, I know it sounds goofy, but that's the name of the the theory. theory. It's called spooky action at a distance. But um, I think Jarmusch is showing us specifically that even though they are on opposite sides of the world. They even say that in the movie. They, They bring up that theory. Yeah, several yeah, times. That's several where times, I. Yeah. That's why I have that written down. Is because Jarmish takes the time to tell us he's what like, this, this is. This is what this is. Yeah, he's like, "Hey guys, uh, in case you were curious," <laughs> or actually, Jim Jarmish would be like, "Hey guys, in case you were curious, I can't <laughs> right. do it. It's too deep. It's too deep." But um, we first, when we're first introduced to them, we hear that that awesome, awesome uh, cut of "Tunnel of Love," mm-hmm. and we are shown Adam from an overhead. Shot an overhead shot spinning, and it's Adam laying on the couch holding a not a guitar. It's a, like a not a cello or something. It's like it's a, a lyre or something yeah. like that. Oh yeah, it's so like eighteen thousand strings on it. Yeah. Um. So he's laying on the couch holding an instrument, and then we cut to an another overhead shot of Eve, and her shot is also spinning, and, and she's, she's surrounded, by books. surrounded by books, and she's laying down. So we are immediately that serves two purposes: establishes Adam loves music, she loves literature, which is what we come back to later and mm-hmm. kind of touch on it. They're like two facets of what I think Jim Jarmusch is probably like. Yeah, but it's more than that. They're laying in similar postures. She has one palm down and one palm up. Adam has both palms down. I think. That represents that Eve. That represents Eve in balance because she's happy in Tangier. Oh yeah, okay. She's got nothing going on, so she has one palm down, one palm up. She is a balanced individual, and she's happy. We see that she's yeah, happy she's in Tangier. Happy. Yep. She's having fun. She's hanging out with Christopher Marlowe. She's going and getting good blood from him. She's reading her books. 
Adam is not. Adam is our troubled character. He is very, very troubled. Something he picked up from uh, Shelly and Byron. <laughs> Which I thought was, I love that they throw that shit out and we find out that Byron was a pompous ass. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, Adam has both palms down, which I think, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but film analysis is something yeah, yeah. I like to do. Yep. I think that sort of reinforces the heaviness of, of his character, mm-hmm. the languor that he's in, this depressed languor that he's down. Well, that he's, he's buying a wooden bullet. Like, that he's yeah. out of, yeah, and he's out of balance too. He's yeah. all down. There's no up, because up no. is that like, you know, Christ pose or uplifting or whatever, and he's, he's down. all down and heavy. But more importantly, as far as their relationship and the spooky action at a distance theory, is even though they're on opposite sides of the world at the same moment in time, they're doing, they're the, doing same the same thing. thing. And surrounded by the things that they love and wake up at the same time Mm -hmm. she opens her eyes he opens his eyes and they both get up afterwards slightly out of sync with each other but what we see is two people people. who have had a bond of centuries so you know how there's that thing where if you live with someone long enough you start to look like them yeah that's a weird that's a real thing that is a real thing and it's really really fucking strange but in a weird way this is that to the billionth degree because they've been together for centuries so in a weird way they have sort of become less two people who are together as like one thing on split apart on opposite sides of the planet isn't it it's weirdly beautiful oh it's beyond that it's there are no words for what that is. it's a spooky action at a distance and it, i like that you said that that is sort of the the goal mm-hmm. for couples it's maybe not for everyone for me it is yeah yeah i yeah. can't speak to anybody else but like when i think about a relationship and like the one that i'm in now it's like that is i i, I want to find my eve like i feel like i have but it's right. like who wouldn't want that kind of thousands of years to 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 be able to and you mourn for that too because we don't have that time to right. to go beyond the human thing that it means to love somebody to to have that evolve into something else where you could spend 84 years apart doing your own whatever. Right. And then as soon as that person shows up on your front doorstep, you just bask in their, yeah, in their in glow e- in each and other. appreciate them. And then it's, I don't know. It's, I think it's interesting too, that Jarmish shows us that this is not the idealized or idyllic, like, Oh, it was love at first sight. And this is, he shows us that this was work and shows us that this is not just it's magic. Not roma- romance novel bullshit. Well, because it's Eve's third marriage. Yeah. He, he points out that Adam was her third marriage mm-hmm. and you get the sense that possibly Adam was that she sired Adam and that's how they ended up together. It's not super clear, but either way she had, she was married two times before and mm-hmm. it failed, but this time, this time with Adam, so he's he's showing it's not like vampire magic. It's that they are truly kindred souls, yeah. and they're very different from each other. Very different. I mean, it's it's the yin, it's that yin to the yang. Well, I yeah, mean, she's she constantly dresses in, in white, white, and he's, he's in all black. in black. Yeah. Even their hair color, like it's and it, you know what's you know what's awesome about that is you're never once like oh that's a little heavy handed. No, like, that's in, fucking perfect. Yeah, it and fits the, their names so well. are Adam and fucking Eve. But part of me is like, <laughs> Carl, you hate that. But you Doesn't don't. have it, but I fucking you don't. don't. Hate it at it's all. perfect. <laughs> I know. I Part of you What are they going to be named? Laura it. and Gordon? Like, Jeez. what? <laughs> <laughs> Laura and Gordon. <laughs> 
We probably wouldn't be talking about this movie if they were named Laura and Gordon. No, like, it's like, jumped the shark. That was fucking. Lo- it's so Gordon. dumb how Laura oh, likes her books. Gordon and your stupid guitars. <laughs> <laughs> there's something. There's. It's not. I think it works because it's n- none of it is affected. None of it. There's no affectation to it. Right. Everything is earnest, but it's not like overly hand wringingly earnest. It's just. It's that goddamn Jarmish thing where he's just like, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. All of this is as it is, and he just hands it to you, and you have to come to it your own way. Yeah. Nothing happens in this movie. From a plot standpoint, what's the plot? Uh, He's thinking about killing himself. She comes back. Yeah. Their, their sister shows up, quote-unquote sister, fucks up things up to where they have to leave Detroit. Mad Max has more plot than this does. It does. In Mad Max, they get in cars and drive to a place, decide they don't like it, and drive, and drive back. back. That's the plot of Mad Max. Mm-hmm. This movie is... Eve comes. I'm gonna try. Yeah, Eve, do it. Okay. Uh, uh, Adam is depressed, so Eve flies over from Tangier to cheer him up. Shit gets really bad when her sister shows up and kills a guy, so they have to leave town and go to Tangier, where a friend of theirs. Di- yeah, not a friend whole, of theirs dies. A friend of theirs dies. And we'll talk about the ending at the end. I don't mm-hmm. want to spoil it because, no. oh my God, there's so much to unpack in the end of this movie. Yep, the last, what, four minutes? Like two minutes. Two minutes. The very, okay. When yep. they're, when mm-hmm. he's Sitting playing. Sitting on the park bench. By the way, that song that he plays, mm-hmm. that ding, 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 that's uh, Joseph Van Wissem. By the way, that's his lute? Lyre? Lyre. I can't remember what that instrument is called, but that is his instrument. That's Joseph Van Wissem's actual instrument. But um, no, so, but then so then they end up saying their good friend dies, and their then good friend they... dies, and they are feeling bummed, and they run out of blood. The blood is bad in Tangier. It's bad everywhere. Mm-hmm. Humans, uh, there's just bad blood all over the joint, and they are out of time, and they're dying. And then the end of the movie happens, which is wide open, so we're not going to count it as part of the plot. Nope. So that's it. Yeah, that's what this movie is. And yet, a couple of car rides over two hours long. Yeah, and fuck. Yeah, because you just like you get to like live in that world for a hot second with them. That's what it. That's you. That's know what? all it is. Night on Earth doesn't have a plot either. We talked about this. No, it doesn't. But this is you. You are allowed to like peek into Adam and Eve's universe in a moment where some things are happening. Right. But you get a sense that things have always been happening. But things have always been, exactly. This is, it's not a story. Do you know what? That's, I think that's why I like Jarmusch's movies so much and why this one works so well is there isn't a plot. He's not telling you a story. He's just opening a window and letting you look at a world for a little while and then closing closing the window at the end. Which is exactly what Night on Earth is with those vignettes. You skip that, which is what 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 it's like when you walk in, when you step into a cab. It's a moment it's a in time. It's a moment in time. And this is an extended oh, wow. ride with And in the a two of them. weird way, that's sort of what this movie is about or what it awakens in me is that it's not about a grand, it's not about living a grand life of adventure. It's about appreciating the moments in time. Mm-hmm. So it's about, yeah, it's about just like relishing 
what your life is, which is what he's showing us. Yeah. This is probably not the most extreme thing that's ever happened to them. This oh, is no. not their They probably had to deal with a much worse. She even says, like, you were, while you were sulking, you missed all the good bits the Inquisition, the plague. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, like, she's been through, like, we could have seen even the plague times. Yeah. Or, exactly. like, Adam hanging through... out with Byron and Shelley. Right. But he chooses to show us that time when Adam was working on a noise album and Eve came over because he was bummed out. Because he was kind of feeling sad for a bit. Yeah. And Jarmish is like, so there, you have no high adventure. Now relish what I'm showing you. God, fuck, he's so smart. Oh, he's such mm-hmm. a good filmmaker. <laughs> um, so we, I like how we're keeping with the broad stuff because I have a lot of small notes about individual scenes and in cinematography. What I want to do. Go. What do you want to do? Mash up Only Lovers Left Alive with What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> wow. I want that'd be like scratch mixing like <laughs> the Bible and like you get uh, some really you get a, you have a, a slow moment with Adam and Eve touching guitars and telling how old they are, and then you hear we're we're werewolves not swearwolves, and then it's like <laughs> <laughs> or we see uh, the Nosferatu guy like just, yeah, like just flow by, by in the background or like stand up behind the couch without bending his knees. <laughs> right. And then walk like float off panel. These dishes are not going to do themselves. Oh my god! <laughs> what we do in the shadows is a killer flick. Yeah, I love that movie me too. But this, so like I wrote that because it was making me think of that because it's it could have it could have felt like what we do in the shadows is very intentionally satire and parody and funny. It's that New Zealand sense of humor, which is fantastic. It's it's like Flight of the Concords with vampires. Like it's yeah, beautiful. Exactly what it's it is. Exactly what it is. But it's. And then you have this vampire movie, which is taking itself very seriously. But I think the two of them have Not, like, well, yeah, but it, it's, it's weird because when you say it takes itself seriously, that usually means like it, that it's stuffy or it's taking no, no, itself no. too I'd seriously. So, I'm sorry. Not, no, not I know any- what you mean though. Like it is, it's seriously presented. And I think that might be why, okay, vampire movie. When I say vampire movie, most people are like, oh, Twilight or like, oh, interview, interview with, with a vampire, vampire. oh, right. Anne Rice. And I think for so long. Dracula, mm-hmm. fucking terrifying vampire movie. Yes, X. It's it's atmospheric. The it's original, in, the original. Yeah, yeah Bela yeah, Lugosi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's spectacular. Then you get the Hammer Draculas, which are still like all the Hammer horror films where Christopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, what's his Count Dooku? Yeah, oh. Christopher Lee. Lee, Christopher Lee plays um, um, uh, Count Dracula, yeah. and then the guy who plays um, Grand Admiral. Tarkin or Grand Moff Tarkin? Grand Moff, Grand Tarkin. Moff Tarkin. He plays um, Helsing. Yes. So those movies are a little bit more like gory, goofy, but they still treat vampires as scary. Yes. Then, but, and they're serious. They're low budget, but they're serious. Yeah. Then you get Twilight. Or no, you get Anne Rice first, and now all of the vampires are sad and broody. Mm-hmm. And they're like sexy and they're like tortured souls. And it becomes like romance novel vampires. Yes. And what she does That's is exactly what it is. defangs them. Oh, yeah. There is no danger or fear involved with vampires at all. There are killings. There are them slaying innocents. There's all of that. But, but she's it's through this she, weird she, like. It's, they're it's a vehicle. With, they're wearing lace. It's like violence with a doily. You get a sense that Anne Rice, what she would have written if no one had ever said vampire, she would have written the same book and it just would have been a Victorian romance novel. Yeah, she absolutely. just would have written. Like court dramas yep. with like, uh, you know, like sneaky 
thieves in the background right. and like oh lamenting princes and dukes and yeah. shit like that but someone told her about vampires and she's like oh, that'd oh be they fun. can have things and then you get twilight which there's not a single scary thing about twilight underworld becomes the matrix with vampires huh Exactly. Uh, yeah. Just a giant piece of shit. So yeah, birds, bird, bird. Okay, that was some moments of silence. I can't hear. The, I can't hear the word Twilight without actually getting a little bit like physically ill. Yeah, it's it. It takes v- this thing that we have been terrified of for millennia. Mm-hmm. This idea of the vampire, this blood sucking. It's, it's thousands of years old. Yeah, it has the, to do with like the cannibalism taboo mm-hmm. and it has to do with like that which comes at the night. It has to do with the unknown. It's fear of the dark. And then we get twilight where like I sparkle in the sunshine and I'm, I'm like so in love with you. This movie takes vampires seriously yes. again and realistically. And yes, we do have a vampire who's bummed out and we do have like a happy vampire and when we're just and for the most part there are no humans in this movie it's mostly vampires yes. and that's why i wouldn't say that this is like a horror it's clearly not a oh, horror oh it's not film. a horror movie at all but when vamp- when the vampires interact with people because jarmish is taking this his subject matter seriously and treating it seriously like when when adam goes to get blood from uh, the hospital it's unnerving yeah it's it is again like we've seen adam we he's our i would call him him and eva are our pov characters mm-hmm. probably adam more so because we follow him for more of the film you've never seen them do anything violent they're very calm they're but very, as soon as he's standing in that doorway with behind jeffrey right on, he's like, scary as shit it's like holy fuck he's a vampire he could very easily tear this dude's head off there's, right you haven't seen there's an him. expectation of violence because he's a vampire well you have and but you haven't you're, you're right never seen you him haven't be seen violent. him be violent or do anything violent yeah at all there's but, always that little weird like ooh, he's keeping himself in check and he's I, holding himself back the from, few times they see blood when he sees that woman in the er and her mm-hmm. leg is bleeding you get the sense like he's a predator yep he's a predator who's just happened to be able to culture himself and raise himself up and also his and probably his fear urges, of yeah. blood poisoning yeah but he's and also the blood poisoning but yeah. he has that in him you see that little hint of danger and but before that even before he sees the blood in the er he's unnerving when he's with jeffrey wright and i think it's the harsh to get into the film of it yeah i think it's that harsh white sterile hospital lighting it's the utter stillness and silence, and it's how long Jarmish lets us see him behind Jeffrey Wright before Jeffrey Wright notices he's yeah. there. We see him standing behind that doctor for like 20 seconds, yeah. 30 seconds before Jeffrey Wright gets the sense that maybe someone's behind him. And you're like, oh, shit. Oh, he's dangerous. Yep. He doesn't do anything dangerous. He nope. doesn't do anything violent. But Jim Jarmish treats his vampires as what they are. They're vampires. They're something to be feared for humans. Yes. Something for humans to fear. And the few times, anytime Ian is in his house. I'm nervous. You're like, he's A under control. Bit. He's paying him for the guitars and stuff. Especially when Ava's there. Uh, well, when, when, when they leave mm-hmm. Ava alone with Ian, I'm like, well, now you've seen the movie like four yeah. times. You know what's coming. But even the first time, I'm like, she is not... She does not have the She's restraint that that Eve and Adam do. Even even when Adam finds he's pretty sure that that Ian has been selling his music and telling people where he lives. Right. And he would be vampire justified in killing him, not human justified in killing right. him. But vampire, vampire justified, justified for sure. Um 
that gets really intense because he's asking him questions and Ian is is answering them. He Ian kind of knows he's in trouble too. Yeah, this is and is playing it off, but it gets really intense because he's sitting in. He doesn't know he, that Adam's a vampire. He's in the dragon's lair, man. He is sitting right next to. He doesn't. I think part of it too is he doesn't know the danger he's in. No, he doesn't. Because we do. Yeah, because when he's he like, doesn't. I saw Eddie Cochran play this character. He's like, you saw Eddie Cochran and Adam. We've we like, Adam yeah, does YouTube on did. YouTube. Yeah. So we get this. Oh, oh, okay. He doesn't know Adam's a vampire. But when Adam gets displeased with him, you're like, they are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Because there's they're in an abandoned neighborhood in Detroit in a house no one knows is occupied. Yeah. And he's in a room with a vampire and doesn't know it. And Adam's not happy. Ian fucked up. And he's now locked in a room with Apex Predator. But yes. doesn't have but any idea. No idea. It's so tense. And again, though. Adam we, has done nothing to. Ever. At, we have never seen no. Adam commit. A, he actually doesn't do anything violent in the whole film. Neither does Eve. None of the vampires except for Ava does anything violent ever. Nope. They are just. They are like utterly in control. But. Oh, my God. I don't. I can't even pinpoint Why? I think it's because Jarmish takes them seriously and doesn't do any of that fucking horse shit that Twilight and the Anne Rice books right. and films do, where they like fluff them up. He takes them seriously as what they are, and also it's it's got to be the cinematography too, like uh, shooting in closer when right. Ian's in trouble and things like that, and then that hospital lighting and long takes, which Jarmish likes anyway. You're letting the environment and the the way it's being shot inform your brain that there is danger right even here, though you have even no though you've evidence. never been given evidence for it right. right but yeah i think that 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 speaks to cinematography and 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 just how it's the performance shot. too yeah, performance too. Hiddle, hiddleston um eve is not as imposing but she's like the lighter spirit i'm never going to be able to watch a marvel movie again ever and look at loki <laughs> Oh my god, I know because every time I see I like Loki, he's fun. He's oh, a yeah. cool character. Yeah, and I, I like, like the Marvel movies too, but And I like, like Tom Hiddleston and stuff, but once you've seen this, you're like this for me is this is Tom Hiddleston's yep. performance. This is it, man. Like I know that no actor likes to hear like, "Oh, you did your best work in 2014," but I've I haven't seen anything better than this yet. Well, I just haven't seen anything outside of Loki. Uh, he's in a movie called Higher Rise, I think. I watched it on Netflix. He was okay. He's and he's he's fun in interviews, but there's something about this performance. You know what it is? Is it's it is to not to yeah yeah. It is Byronic in a yeah. way. It is his performance, his character, the character he's playing is Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. Not in like that. It's it's homaging either of those of those writers. It is, but in that it is tragic, endlessly deep and nuanced. I mean, there's a reason that. Um, uh, Gary Oldman decided to take the role of Dracula in Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. He didn't like the script. He didn't like the character. But he liked the line, I have crossed oceans of time for, to be with you or for, with yeah. you, or for you or something like that. That's the line. He read this one line and he's like, you know what? I can bring something to, to this. this. Yeah. And the, if anyone can is Gary Oldman. So. The chance to play a timeless an endlessly time. I mean, you read if you read this script, and you were being offered any role in it, you'd immediately be like, "Yeah, absolutely." But yeah. Adam and Eve, especially, I don't think they could have cast this better. No, Tilda Swinton. Jeez, oh my god, she's perfect. The first, John my, Hurt. Mm, the first time I saw her in anything was Michael Clayton. Okay. Uh, and I was like immediately like, "Who is who? Who is you? 
You, my, you, you. My first Tilda <laughs> like, Swinton was uh, Constantine. Really? Yeah. And I was, I like that movie anyway, but I was like, wow, who's, she's doing, yep. she's doing some stuff Some here. serious work. And she is absolutely, she is just so beautiful in this movie. She's, she's just genius in general. Mm-hmm. She makes Doctor Strange. Period. She's, she, makes she makes Doctor, Doctor Strange. She makes Doctor Strange. Yeah. I like, what I like about Tilda Swinton in this movie and in others is that she will do our projects you get the sense that she doesn't do stuff for money ever right i don't think i can point to with certain actors you can point to like oh they needed some cash right like i hate to say it because daniel craig used to do really incredible like british art films like layer cake no even before layer cake there's um love is the devil a a portrait of francis bacon that's a fucking crazy movie hotel splendid that's a wild like indie art film Mm -hmm. like strange abstract black british comedy and he's awesome in it but then he gets into bond and now you kind of i i love daniel craig to death yeah but you get the sense that he's starting to settle like he's he's taking fun well in fun interviews role. you know that he's not quite he's, he's not wanted, happy doing he wanted bond to anymore. be he wanted to be done like two flicks ago yeah he's not he, he wants skyfall to be the last one and specter happened and it's like, so yeah. hard to turn down big 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 money though well yeah so we're gonna offer you x million dollars well you know what's weird out. is yeah because i mean you can think like if you're a big big name actor and you've got money and they're right. like, we'll give you fifty million dollars, and you can be like, no. But I'm hearing like the to get him back for Spectre. Do you remember the Spectre press tour where he was like, I would rather kill myself yes, than, than do play another, James Bond yes. again. They gave him enough money that he was like, I guess I'll postpone my suicide long enough to make another movie. Jesus, think about how much money. That's why I don't like Hollywood. No, I know because if you cut him loose, if you're like, all right, Daniel Craig, you're done being Bond, and you know what, you have more money than you will ever be able to spend in your lifetime maybe he goes and does another something like love is the devil right or another layer cake or another i would love to i would love to see that i feel like incredibly talented actors sometimes price themselves out of interesting projects you know what i mean Yeah, yeah like robert downey jr what small budget what small indie film is ever gonna have him in it ever again because now he gets paid what like five hundred million dollars right, to play to Iron play Man Iron. every time he fucking plays. So and who wouldn't? Right. Yeah. But that my my big complaint with that is we're never gonna get another kiss kiss bang bang. Fuck me. God damn it. We're never gonna get another Chaplin or uh. we're never gonna get another less than zero because Robert Downey Jr. No one can afford to put him in interesting stuff unless he stuff. decides he wants to do something, which could very well. That's true. But do I an feel art movie like. I don't know how much control they have over that, like the actors have over that, though. I feel like a lot of times it's agents wheeling and dealing, and the scripts you see have gone through that filter of like, yeah, what's going to make me my 10%. fucking hate that. I hate it about my, because I love big Hollywood movies. I mean, I'm a sucker for the next... I still haven't seen I, Infinity War. I'm seeing it Monday. Right. We have a date I, night. I'll definitely go see I it. Mean, I've I, only heard good things, but... I love the stupid popcorn, munchy, munchy Hollywood movies, but then I watch something like this, and I'm like, I still love my my popcorn movies but i'm now aware i'm like there's there's two different things there's jim jarmusch type of movie. everybody loves a blockbuster fuck yes like for every time i read like nietzsche or something i'm gonna want to read 
a comic of, book. Yeah, like I, I, like I, I burned through a couple of Stephen of, Kings, yeah, and absolutely. then I read a Nathaniel Hawthorne novel. And I novel. think that that is important too. Yeah, because you could oh, you could spin the needle so too far the other way. We're like, well, I am now only going to, going to watch independent art house movies and only watch high literature. It makes you boring. I think that is fucking bullshit. Yeah, I agree. You have to you have to have a mix. I'm still gonna play Assassin's Creed on my PlayStation Four because <laughs> yeah. it's a fucking amazing game. But I'm also going to be aware of the other things that are out there and seek them out. I will also go and read Marlowe. I'm going to reread Henry V again this week because it's fucking amazing. But I'm also going to play Assassin's Creed. Fucking yeah. Assassin's Creed. This so. there's a um I've told Bird this story. She might have actually even been No, she wasn't in the class, but I was uh I'm an English writing major mm-hmm. and I was right off the bat basically they just let me start taking I was taking grad classes like this made me want to go back to school and become a teacher. Not me at all. This bit. made me want to just like go and live in a hovel just surrounded by like art and I just lay around in my bathroom all day. It, it made me want to do for young people what, what this, this movie, movie did, did for you. Me. I can see that. Yeah. Um, I had a class with this pr- poetry professor named Austin Hummel. Changed my life. Absolutely, completely rewired my brain and changed who I am forever. So he's this brilliant poet. I have a couple of books of his upstairs. And he was on the first day where he's like, all right, let's introduce yourself. And what is what are you reading right now? Like that was the thing. Right. And I was one of the last people to go. We started on one side of the room. It was my first class with him. It was his 400 level poetry class. Um, I was referred by another professor of mine, Lisa Cooley, my freshman year. So my my first semester of my sophomore year I was taking this like 400 level class so I'm not bragging I'm saying I'm right. really young surrounded by some people with older people yeah. yeah and we're going around the the room and well I just read um Faulkner's As I Lay Dying uh, for the second time uh someone was reading Finnegan's Wake um I'm rereading my way through all of Shakespeare's works I'm digging into the sonnets like that's what people yeah. are reading as they're going around and almost like oh that's awesome yeah it's a great book it's cool and then there's like you know I'm like um I'm doing I'm I'm doing my thesis on Cormac McCarthy so I'm reading my way through uh, all the pretty horses and then I'm like fuck cuz I was reading Cujo at the time oh shit yeah so everyone I'm talking like Faulkner Hemingway fucking Every, people are reading Nietzsche yeah. and Kafka and yeah. then he gets to me and they're like he's like all right well, um I'm like I'm my name's Max Peterson I'm I'm reading uh Cujo by Stephen King right now and the whole room laughed mm-hmm. and when they stopped laughing Homo goes right on you're the only one reading a good book right now that is awesome <laughs> yes <laughs> and ever since then like i've i've gone out for drinks with him a bunch of times i've yeah. gone to breakfast at his house he like he changed my life but yeah. ever since then it was weird because going through this room and hearing all these people reading quote unquote like mm-hmm. smart books or great works i felt which they are they, yeah but Fair i enough. felt i felt bad or guilty yeah, that I was you didn't want to say it Cujo yeah I was you're probably sweating your balls dude, off I was running lies I'm like I... should I say whatever you know I'm like oh who's the hardest poet I can think of off the top of my head Hart Crane I'm reading Hart Crane but dude, I was I'm like I'm proud of you I'm like no fuck it own up the, yeah. own up I'm like well, I'm reading Cujo I think it's really good 
<laughs> That's funny. Uh, what are you really reading? I'm like, oh, Cujo. Cujo. And he's like, oh, cool, right on. You're the only one reading a good book right now. I, I was like, that. fuck yes. And ever since then, man, I'm, I'm, and you know what? I still get shit for it. At work all the time, I'll be like, you know, like, uh, what are you reading right now? I'm like, oh, I just, I just finished not too long ago, um, Tommyknockers. I love Stephen King. Yeah. So I'm like, I just finished Tommyknockers. And I'm like, oh, you're one of the Stephen King readers. I'm like, yeah, he's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Have you read a Stephen King book? They're yeah. a lot of fun. Pick up a Stephen King book. And like, yes. It's I, so well, his style of writing, it just, it begs to be read. I don't know what it is about the, the way he describes things, the dialogue, the, everything is just, it's very Stephen and I King. Always, I, don't know. I always like to point out to people, I'm like, Stephen King wrote The Body. Stephen King wrote The Green Mile. Stephen King wrote The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Like, this this is not just some guy who I mean yeah Christine is a book about like a, a living a evil car, car. Yeah. but he also wrote one of the best prison stories ever written he's a good writer anyway we're two not, of the best prison stories ever written uh, Green Mile yeah Green Mile he wrote and the two Shawshank, of them. Shawshank Redemption. Redemption but uh, Rita Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption not even a novel no it's a fucking novel uh, it's a novella and then the Green Mile is a serialized it's a serialized novel. novel yeah it's crazy. He's in his spare time. He's writing genius <laughs> works of fiction. But, he wrote um, that on the crapper. It's like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he's just like uh, I was writing on a napkin at breakfast, and uh, pretty soon I had ten, uh, twenty thousand napkins, Jesus. and I had my person type it up, and then uh, I was a genius. But no, yeah, but like at the, at the same time. You know, I've got Siddhartha up on my shelf. I've yep. got the complete Milton. I have two complete editions of Shakespeare because there are there are two different Norton critical editions with mm-hmm. different essays in them. Like I, then you have the I folios think, and everything like that. The I th- original. I think read everything. Yeah, read everything. Yeah. You know, like that. I think then that's part of what this movie's about. I think so. When Eve is loading up her, um, her loading up her suitcases, there's yeah, there's like old hardbound books in Chinese there's she has a really cool edition of the um Shakespeare's sonnets with one sonnet per page mm-hmm. you catch that on yep. the plane sure it's pretty sweet where you can just see them by themselves she's got that but she also has like she has like modern American plays and she has some like hardbound books in there that look like um just like 2016 literary novels yeah. so she's reading everything everything and that's what i love about adam's character too is adam talks about william laws and we find out that he gave was it bach he yeah. gives he gives somebody an adagio he's written a string oh a string oh my god the string quartet and he's like and he put it out under his name because adam's a vampire and can't put it out schubert schubert he gives yeah. schubert uh schubert's adagio for strings or whatever yeah. he gives him the adagio so he's he's like got this classical stuff but then we hear him they're listening he's talking about eddie cochran playing guitar and we hear when he goes and sees yasmin hamdan he loves her we hear him spin um well they actually the one of the albums they listen to is technically squirrel so it's Jim right. Darmish's <laughs> band. but uh and then they listen to that down down and boom and they're dancing, yep, they're dancing to that liking it too they're omnivorous art appreciators there's nothing there's no like you know the, that's where oh you use that uh, how that's why and rice irks me is they sit around and listen to fucking chamber music with torches all over the place <laughs> And he's laying on his couch with like uh, egg cartons up on his wall because he's got a recording studio and he's list- he's spinning like old country western yep. albums and he's listening to like hip hop and they go and see White Hills perform. Yeah. They're 
but he that doesn't mean he doesn't like classical. No, he appreciates. He's just that fucking as well. sucking yep, everything. everything in. Eve is the exact same way. She loves the broken the the craftsmanship of the broken guitar. She's she's stunned by the the scientific oddity of the Amanita muscaria mushrooms growing in his garden out of season. Right. It's like, which what I are think you doing here? That's super important, by the way. Um, she is fascinated by the beauty of the generator he built. She says, oh, it's beautiful. It's a fucking generator in the ground. A Tesla design, I think. Yeah, it's a, he, he, like, he modified he, a Tesla mod- design. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, so if, just for mo- the only moment that took me out is when, when, when he's talking about Tesla, he looks right at the camera. It's like Jim, like there was a moment where Adam is like talking directly to you about like, we're Tesla and all his, does he look at the camera? Like directly into the camera. I've seen it four times. I've never seen that. Yeah. He looked like looking right at you. Straight into the Like you stupid fucking zombie. Tesla should have been the one to get like, yeah, he does. He does. Oh, that's when uh, she asks him about his scientists and he's like, they've all been ridiculed because they, they, yeah, humans are afraid of progress or right, whatever right, right. and then he themselves. looks when he's talking about tesla he's looking looks right, right into, into the, the camera. camera yeah okay um but uh, yeah i just i've never noticed i'll have to watch it again and probably when i see it i'll be like that was a genius yeah, move I to have him look right into the camera <laughs> speak into my soul but uh i don't know that's that's what i i love they go to the michigan theater at one point i cried when they go in the Michigan theater? Yeah. Yeah. First, I didn't cry this time, but the first time I saw that, I was like, the fact that this is, what's weird is I cried because the first time I saw it, because this building is giant and dilapidated and it was so beautiful and now it's, it's just a car, a park. car uh, park. Yeah. That's why I, yeah. Now, when I first met Bird, she was really into, Bird is my wife for those of you who don't know, um, she was really into photography and I'd follow her around and I was, because I was fresh out of detour high school, right. you know, so I'm not, I'm not into the, any of the weird, cool culture stuff yet. Right. So I was expecting, she always had her camera with her and I was always expecting her to take pictures of the lake or the trees or the stuff that all the tourists were taking pictures of. Cause you can see people taking pictures. Oh yeah. And that's what you'd photograph. It's like, look at flower. Yeah. And she would photograph like rusted fences and like chains on the ground and like roadkill from weird angles and Mm -hmm. buildings that were falling in on themselves and i was like what are you why are you doing that what's that about i wasn't like judging i was just curious i'm like why are you photographing that and later when we came back to traverse city for uh, i came to visit her i was writing a piece for the traverse city state hospital which is a at the time there were several condemned buildings yeah um there was buildings with like asbestos coming out of the walls and lead paint flaking everywhere and the floors were caved in. And by that time, Bird had explained her her fascination with things that are like falling apart and the mm-hmm. beauty that you can find sometimes in decay. So we went through and did a, I wrote an article and she did a photo series of not the like pretty exteriors, but all of the damage and destruction and decay of the, yeah, I'll show you the pictures. Yeah. I'd love if to. you want. Yeah, please. If I can get my fucking hard drive to work, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, now when I watch this, Eve says it's magnificent or it's glorious or mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And it's, again, it's that thing where even though the Michigan theater that Jim Jarmusch shows us is heartbreakingly decayed, it's still beautiful. It's still beautiful. And in a weird way, some of that fallen nature of it is what gives it its character. Yeah. Have you ever seen Jack White's K guitar? 
No. He has an old hollow body K that has a huge hole in the face of the body, but he just ran a pickup through it. And there's there's cracks. It's it's in rough shape. Well, there's a whole Chinese thing with the like the crack cracks on a teapot. It's like it it like earned that crack and is part of it. It shows its history. Right. Right. I feel I feel that way about I feel I feel like with guitars, a lot of people feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know many people who will like refinish a scuff on their guitar. Oh, fuck no. Some of those the guitars with all those marks on the was it the pick guard? Uh, Well, guitars that don't have pick guards on them. If you play them long enough, the pick will start wearing grooves. Yeah. Yeah. So they like under your strings, you'll get a big bare patch of wood where your hand has just worn, worn through the down. varnish and finish because you've played it for thousands of hours. And who would want to cover up that history? I mean, yeah, mine are none of mine are that crazy, but some of the guitars that I have up there, like um, I got an old. We can well, let's talk about the guitars. Well, yeah, because as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I bet this is this is like is Matt Max is touching himself right now. No, that's when I was sure. crying. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was uh, Eve when Eve sees her when Eve is packing her books. I always cry because I'm just yep. like she loves books the way that more I mean she's endless but the way that I feel about books I'm seeing it on screen but the moment the moment man I said here's my exact note I said maybe it's lame I don't know but the veneration Adam has for guitars makes me want to cry and then I wrote down a bunch of notes about how his silver tone is from the 60s and I have a Dan Electro 56 U2 from 1998 which is we talked about it before the show but anyway one of my guitars is made by the company that used to make Silvertone's guitars and every time I see that Silvertone I just go get my Dan Electro and I yep. just sit and just hold it. <laughs> That's awesome. It's amazing. It's um so uh he it's not the it's not the Silvertone, it's the first guitar that he gets. I can't From remember. Ian when he has Yeah, his... the first one. He gets a he gets a Silvertone. He gets an and the guitars tell you something about Adam too. Right. Because the Silvertone was Jack White's first guitar. It was Dave Grawl's first guitar. Jimmy Page used to play Dan, uh, Dan Electro's all the time in Silvertones before. Um, James Hatfield's first guitar was a Silvertone. Amazing. They're they're cheap guitars that you used to they used to sell at Sears. They're made from cheap wood, poplar, which is not a normally a guitar body wood right. because it's cheap. Cheap. And they're plastic. The front, the the actual guitar itself is made from masonite with a vinyl binding to hold the masonite onto it's the cheap ass poplar. Shit that, like the make and bake oven is made out of. Like. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and here's the, here's my favorite part, and this is a little known thing about silver tones and Dan Electros is rather than spend all this money on pickups. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, the standard pickup style, just to, to be to really quick, is like a bar with posts, six posts. Yep. And the six posts are wrapped with wire and electrically charged to make a magnetic field. And that's how that picks up the strings. The maker of Dan Electro was like, well, what if I just laid one post down and wrapped it? Right. So rather than have like I mean, all these little posts with all these little wires, he's like, I'll put one post down and lay it flat and wrap it and then that'll be my that'll be pickup. pickup but he couldn't figure out what to put him in so he was like what's a cheap cylindrical thing that i could put a magnetically wound bar in hmm oh old metal lipstick tubes no shit yeah so he mass bought lipstick tubes and put his metal 
his wound pickup in metal there. pickup oh in God. a lipstick tube. So if you go and look at my Dan Electro later, those uh, those pickups, those ones are now they built casings for them. But right. the original silver tones, that was a a magnetically wrapped. That was a, a wire wrapped bar inside an old lipstick tube fixed into the that's body amazing. of the guitar. So that's that is a funky weird guitar. And the silver tone that uh, Adam gets actually has an amplifier built into that's the case. That's right. Yeah. That reminds me of um, the Arctic Monkeys guitarist. I don't know if he still uses it, but when I first heard about the Arctic Monkeys five years ago, he was playing a guitar he'd bought in a pawn shop that had five effects pedals built, built into, into the it. body That's of amazing. the guitar. I know, but oh my God. so so his silver tone is like that that like indie garage rock rockabilly yep. like um, bluesy funky weird guitar choice for guitar enthusiasts. That guitar says something, right? Number two, a weird, a very unusual Hagstrom. Hagstrom was uh, like a kind of like the the rock metal guitar of the okay. 80s. But for me, it's most closely associated with Seattle in the 90s because they were cheap as fuck in the 90s. So Kurt Cobain, some of his first guitars are Hagstroms. If you look at stuff from Bleach Era Nirvana, mm-hmm. he's playing Hagstroms. A lot of those bands back then used to use them because they were cheap, they yeah. were durable, and they have a specific sound. Like they even when they flip the guitar over, and there's that mother of pearl coating on the back, and he even says uh, "mother of toilet seat." Or mother whatever. of toilet seat, yeah. <laughs> you get, I think that is Jarmish rooting us in the sort of grunge aspect of you know he was making films before grunge, but yeah. there is definitely grunge aesthetic in this film so i think that hagstrom is sort of speaking to not okay adam likes his silver tones but adam also likes that of that feedbacky dirt sound then we get a chet atkins hollow body that is that's an expensive fucking guitar that's uh what company makes that's gretch i'm pretty sure gretch makes the chet atkins so that's a semi hollow body guitar which is pure nashville chicken pick and plucking guitar that speaks and also those guitars are amazing for feedback which is what when what, when, when we see adam writing, making yeah. his stuff he's feeding them back but all of those guitars are like historic standouts there's tons of guitars oh, in sure. the world but those ones those are three very, very different specific, guitars yeah. i wish i could remember what that first one that he gets is because it's four guitars i think that he picks up. yeah the first guitar is the one that he named he says i shall name him william laws and i love that ian says this one's a male or he says it's a male and adam says this one is yeah this one is yeah and you get the sense that he's done this a lot yes and some of his guitars are male guitars and some of his guitars are female guitars there's a an awesome essay. I'm just all over the place. There's no, an awesome essay by Neil Gaiman where he says stories have genders, where he talks about how in his head, all of the books that he writes and all of the short stories that he writes are either boy stories or girl stories. And he says that books like Coraline, oftentimes, but not always, oftentimes the protagonist of the piece is what genders the story so Coraline for him is a girl book not a book for girls but a a female story it's actually female not made for girls right right yeah, okay. in his head that I, I story pick up what you're saying right yeah. that yeah. story is female and gender right but Stardust even though that story has a male protagonist and there's lots of dudes in it yes. because Yvain the star that falls from the sky is the most interesting character and seems to be the through line in the heart mm-hmm. of the piece Stardust is also a female story American Gods is a male, male novel story. in his head so 
that is a thing you find with guitars a lot is that people will name them. I can't remember what it's called, but Jack White has a name for his K. Uh, Willie Nelson, his guitar is named Trigger. Um, they're uh, fucking uh, Billy Gibbons names all his guitars. I think his his one is called Lucille. It's either Lucille or Pearly Gates. I can't remember, but that's he, what I named my stabbing knife. <laughs> <laughs> but that's this is a thing. This is a thing where guitarists will name their guitars, but it's almost always female. The names are very rarely male. Willie Nelson named his after a right, horse. It's, it's kind of like, it's like you naming your car. It's almost always for guys anyway. You name it a, a girl name. It's a she. Right. And, right. you know, it's, and there's always that like, oh, she's, she's running a little hot today. Yeah. It's, you have, there is gender for inanimate objects in common speech, but I think it's really interesting that Adam, being how old he is, and Ian's even surprised. Mm-hmm. It's a male. Right. Yeah, this one is. Yeah, this one is. Yeah. I love that. Adam is more in touch and more in tune with his instruments. Whereas it's it's that Neil Gaiman thing where who would even gender a story? But Neil Gaiman is so, has such, the stories are so in the roots of him. He has them so inside himself that he under, that he can start to see the gender of yeah. his stories and stuff. He understands his art more than others, like Adam understands his instruments more than the the kid who got his guitar and he's like, I'm gonna name this one Betty because right. I ride it hard, you know, like <laughs> yep. I'm only gonna play it finger style. <laughs> Adam's like, I shall name him William Laws. And you're like, I can be better than I am. <laughs> uh, I can be better than I am. I just uh and I mean can we talk about the music in this movie? The the score, the okay, soundtrack. Okay, so this is I'm I'm not a fan of like that weird the feedbacky stuff. Like you're you huge fan, huge fan of that. Yeah. This made me more curious about that style of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to sit and like listen to either score like a like I could ask you like what a good introductory either band or artist to that style of music that wouldn't like drop you right in the middle of like. This is the like crazy, the crazy, crazy limits. shit. Yeah. Like, what would be like a good sort of gateway drug into that style of music? Asking for myself and our listeners, if this might be interested. the soundtrack for Only Lovers Left Alive is available for like digital download. You can yeah, get on yeah, Spotify and Spotify, stuff. Yeah. You don't have to buy it on vinyl. The I have a lot of this. Yeah, I have a lot of this stuff on vinyl. But um, this soundtrack is a good introduction because okay. it has that. It is Squirrel. It's Jim Jarmusch's band. He scored the movie with his band, um, Carter Lo- Carter Logan's another member of Squirrel. Okay. He also plays the Californian record exec in the bar who has the glasses oh, on. Oh, very cool. That's okay. Carter Logan. So he, um, I think his name's Pete in the movie, but this is a good int- intro to that sound and especially to Squirrel. The, uh, Squirrel releases, they don't release full albums. They release EPs. Squirrels EP number one. That's the title. They're just EP one, EP two, EP three. Oh, okay. EP one is fairly accessible. Okay. And pretty good. But I would, if for anyone who wants to get into like that kind of feedbacky ambient noise, mm-hmm. like that hip. Almost noise feel like, music, like like for the right person, like meditative sort of it's, music. Yeah, it's very like chill. Lay on the couch and like right. escape in your own brain for a minute. Right. It's really, it's really like uh, it's 
less music for like melody and lyric and blah blah blah. It's more music of feel. Okay. It's more mood. But uh, only lovers left alive soundtrack is awesome, especially because in the second half, which is the second of the two LPs, they recorded it all on tape. So the second of the second LP or the second half, if you're listening to it digitally, is. Tangier. They do it in two stages. The first stuff is the Detroit music. And then it's and they scored separately for Tangier. And in Tangier, this other musician, Joseph Van Wissem, is more heavily featured. And he plays I keep getting it's either a lute or a lyre. It's the stringed instrument yep. that has like a hundred fucking strings on it. So he'll play I'm gonna say lyre. He plays like lyre music. And Jim Jarmish and Squirrel layer like waves of feedback Amazing. and like oceans of sound behind this like boom, boom, ding, ding, bang, boom, bang, ding. but it's it's not. I made it sound banjoy, but it's right. it's very oh, not, almost like a sitar, but not. It a sitar. it sounds to me. It sounds like he's he's really heavily inspired by like Renaissance and medieval okay. music, but also it's not it's not funerary it's like this beautiful like acoustic it's like an acoustic guitar if it had a hundred strings right uh-huh. and he, the the lines he's able to play together it's it's like listening to renaissance or medieval funeral music with like fender and Mar- like martial amps feeding back behind it with oceans of reverb it's gorgeous it it's it's more a uh, bird and i were talking about this when we went to the museum the other day it's less about music and more about oral texture yeah it's like listening to textures it's so fucking awesome um so yeah those would be my recommendations squirrels awesome and there's a single that you can listen to on youtube which i haven't been able to find i don't have the ep yet Mm -hmm. i think it's off ep two or three but it's uh they do a cover of i'm so lonesome i could cry and it's basically like i'm so lonesome i could cry played at half speed it's already not a fast by like song. blacks. No, they slow that shit way down though, because wow. you need to give your guitarist time, time to, to feedback. Makes sense. So they'll get like a strum going, and then someone will play a fill as the guitar starts to. Yeah. And oh god, it's so beautiful. Like I could I could talk about feedback sure. and how to make it feedback, but I won't. But yeah, I'm still on some. I could cry. Their cover is great. So this soundtrack, I thought obviously it fits the film perfectly because <laughs> it's Squirrel and Jim Jarmusch, and it made me it made me very curious for that particular genre and want to like give it try try it on take a look at it take a look at there's it there's a i don't an, think it would ever be my favorite no. style of music i grew i grew up on like billy joel and the beatles and like that kind of shit like pop well he he describes the sound of squirrel as and his influences as Ameri- like americana country western but played through like a Black Sabbath sensibility at half speed. I kind of dig that. Okay. It's sweet. So actually, if anyone's interested in doing what we do, which is f- writing down everything that our people we love are inspired by and then researching all of it, mm-hmm. there's an interview called Molten Meditations um, online. It's uh, The Quietus, Q-U-I-T-U-S. If you just look up Molten Meditations interview with Jim Jarmusch, it's an interview with Squirrel, and they talk about their influences and what they're listening to now. And it's, there's like five Renaissance composers, there's South African hip hop bands, there's like electronic noise bands, there's dance albums, there's, um, he likes a lot of rap, but foreign rap mostly. He says that the American stuff is all getting like into this like repetitive gangster rap style, but foreign rap is still experimenting. I love it. Yeah. So if you want music to listen to, Molten Meditations, The Quietist, it's pretty sweet. 
Um, we haven't talked about Christopher Marlowe or Shakespeare at all. No, we haven't. And I, you know, they touch on it, so I will just touch on it. Yeah. Because it's, it's just a brief thing that happens sort of in the background. And for like a Shakespeare enthusiast, like my say, were those words that I just said? No. For Shakespearean enthusiast like myself. There you go. How did that? Those that were words. Better? Yeah, those were words. Take two is better. Yeah. Perfect. Always. Um, it's there for you to 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 see and go, uh-huh, I see what you did there. Right. Christopher Marlowe is one of the vampires. Yeah. He's living in Tangier. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out who he is because he sits down across from Eve in a cafe and she goes, Christopher Marlowe. Yeah. Goes, Don't you ever call me that, that in public. public. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple of different theories about William Shakespeare, whether or not he actually wrote one, any of any of, any of it or some of it. And I mean, we could sit here all day for for a month talking about it and debating it. Uh, I, for one, like David Tennant's uh, answer to that question. David Tennant played Doctor Who. He's done a whole bunch of stuff for the Royal Shakespeare Company, mm-hmm. Hamlet. Yeah. Like, you name it, he's done it. And he was asked, I think it was Jimmy Fallon, he was asked about Shakespeare and whether or not he thought that, that Shakespeare William Shakespeare... Had it. And David Tennant's like, I don't think I really care. it's like the words are there it doesn't matter right we have the work we have the work but then you know the big the big theory was uh, so you have the stratfordians and the oxfordians the stratfordians believe that shakespeare wrote everything and the uh, oxfordians believe that it was the 17th earl of um, oxford uh de veres edward de veres Mm -hmm. was the one that actually wrote everything some people said maybe marlowe but as like the time that doesn't make any doesn't doesn't match because marlowe is supposed to be dead right which they address which which they do address which i think is funny because that jim jarmish is acknowledging that it couldn't be marlowe but i think he might be saying like i don't think shakespeare i don't necessarily think Shakespeare. well people do think that shakespeare whoever he was was very much influenced by marlowe right i i've read about like a literary rivalry between the two yeah yeah so a lot of people don't like shakespeare Milton Milton famously wrote several poems. Oh, yeah. He wrote a poem about uh, Shakespeare, which a lot of people think is a brilliant example of um, uh, like uh, uh, double entendre or double meaning. Mm-hmm. It's a poem praising Shakespeare. If you read it one way, if you read it the other way, it's like the most vicious criticism of Shakespeare yeah. you could ever ever read in your life there's several documentaries about shakespeare and the people of his time like panning him and like there's a movie that came out not too anonymous anonymous right 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 okay it's crap movie but it's like it it asks (laughs) some pretty interesting questions and that that movie comes from the from the from the standpoint that the devere's is the one that wrote everything Mm -hmm. because there's no way that william shakespeare could know that much about like french culture and aristocracy and and, and, i've heard some of the arguments um but i do love that it is there and that shakespeare is on uh the wall of heroes for for Adam. Yeah, that Shakespeare is on the wall of Heroes for Adam. And I think it's interesting too that Mar- Shakespeare is on Marlowe's wall with too. a knife in his head. Yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> he calls him a fucking one of the uh, last illiterate things, Philistine. That's one of the last things that he says, says on this earth is calling Shakespeare, Shakespeare an illiterate, illiterate Philistine. Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's just like that's. I love I love my I love my William Shakespeare, but I also love my Stephen King, and I think this movie is 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 re- is a tap on the shoulder, reminding you to go seek out the things that are beautiful. Yeah, but it's also telling you that it's oh it's okay if you like Cujo. I think thank you. you know? I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I think part of the meditation of the film too is on is whether or not credit is important. 
Adam doesn't seem to think so because when he, she's like, do you remember when you gave that, uh, that, uh, the quintet that comp, to, that quintet yeah. to Schubert? And he goes, I just only gave him the adagio and he gave it. It wasn't important that he was credited as having the adagio. What mattered is that people heard, heard the adagio yeah. and like, he doesn't want to do live shows. He doesn't want to put his name on his albums. He's really reclusive, but he's still putting his music out. He's right. still recording. So what matters to him is the work. Mm-hmm. And later when he, uh, when Marlo's dying and, and Adam is there, finally he's come to Tangier. He says, still been scribbling. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. John Hurt goes here and there over the centuries. And uh, Adam go. Uh, he's like, the um, Eve is lamenting that he's like dying unknown, and that Shakespeare's taking all the credit, right. and that the work is gonna have to go out under other people's names because he's meant to be dead. Um, it was. Uh, that's what he's saying. He's, he's like, he's like, well, you know, I had to give the credit to someone because I was meant to be dead. Right. <laughs> and um, Adam goes, well, what matters is you got the work out, kid, and you. We're seeing that. That th- that uh, I think Jim Jarmusch and Adam share that in common, which is it's mm-hmm. not important to have your name in lights and be lauded and loved. What matters is that your work went out, yeah, and that it affected people. Yes, Adam. I mean, it's nice for Adam because he has, seems to have an unlimited supply of money. Which, if we all had an unlimited supply of money, maybe I'd lock myself away and just be a yeah, pure exactly. artist. But, <laughs> but um, I really like I really like that sentiment. Is that we were just talking about it. Dan, a certain amount of fame shuts you out from being able to creatively, to honestly creatively express yourself. I mean, even people like, think about Andy Warhol or uh, um, Basquiat. Those people are creating like wild art that's not for everybody. Oh, no. And that, Or Kurt Cobain. Great mm-hmm. example to take it back to him. Crazy, crazy grunge, super experimental, like Endless Nameless is nine minutes of feedback. It's fucking awesome. Lou Reed, Metal Machine Music is an entire yeah. album yeah. of feedback, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I also have on vinyl. <laughs> but um, when you get to a certain level of fame, you can't do that anymore because now there are people who are expecting things from you and... They're paying you money. Right. You're being, so now you're bought you're being, and paid for. And also the, the place that you were coming. I kind of want to be bought and paid for, to be honest with you. <laughs> but the, the place that you're, I'd like to be bought just a little. Yeah, just a little. But like the, little. Uh, the, the place that you're coming from doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like where it's, you know, part of what made early Nirvana so amazing is Kurt is just smoking weed with his friends in an abandoned house he's recording onto like uh a cassette tapes on mm-hmm. boom boxes and then nevermind hits and the album costs what fucking like it's like a million dollars to record the album yeah. and he'd previously recorded bleach for th- 800 yeah he recorded his first <laughs> album for 800 dollars. he recorded his second album for a million and then the third album comes around and the record studio is like, all right, let's make another Nevermind. And he's like, I'm going to go into the woods and we're going to record with a recording engineer that you've never heard of on tape in a cabin. And the studio's like, uh, no. No, you're not. And he did. Yeah. He know. went out and recorded in utero in Pachyderm Studios with Steve Albini, one of the greatest sound engineers of all time. And when he presented the record to the, to the label, David Geffen Company, they turned it down. They're like, we're not putting this out. 
this doesn't sound a fucking thing like that awesome album that made us a jillion dollars. Go record it again. They didn't. They did like two overdubs and did a remix. Um, Albini recently released uh, a couple years ago. He re-released not an original cut, but his now right. remastering of it. It's oh, pretty fucking Jesus. excellent. But yeah, think about that. Like, yeah. you can go into a studio and record. Like, I've I've released two albums. I recorded in a kitchen, and then you go from that to like here's a million dollars and now we have 20 people in the studio and they're all going to be like mm, I think we need a little more reverb on the- you're not making your art anymore no, no, no. just like Robert Downey Jr. can't go and make a $500 movie right or at 20,000 or whatever the only exception which is weird is Jim Jarmusch seems to be able to get a-list actors in his movie for cheap because they yeah. want to work with Jim Jarmusch he's got Adam Driver to fucking we were talking about it when yeah it was Adam Driver Adam is Driver. In, in Patterson as a and honestly, driver. honestly, look at this fucking movie, dude. Like, you got okay, John Hurt yeah. is in this movie. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston, I think 2014, he would have played Loki by now. He was now. already Loki. Yeah. He was already Loki. So you get Tom Hiddleston in this movie. Tilda Swinton. Now these are arty people. Yeah. But these are like maybe not like Robert Downey Jr. level, right. but, but they're these still are, A-listers. I mean, these they're are still, in the big movies. Yeah. Yeah, and they're widely respected actors. Mm-hmm. You know who? You know who doesn't get enough credit, by the way, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright is fucking. Awesome. I loved him in this and he's Me in too. two scenes and he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> he's great in both of them. <laughs> yes. Dr. Yeah, Strange like, like the goofiness to him. When he throws the money in yeah. there. There's two bits, two little bits of acting in those two scenes, which are primo. One is when he throws the money in there and, and catches, catches it in his, in his pocket. Lab coat. And two the, it's actually reversed. The lab coat catches in the lab coat is the second time they meet. The first yes. time they meet is uh when Adam pushes the chair and it slides perfectly back into place and stops, you get I get the sense watching this movie that sometimes like things just happened to work out perfectly. Yes. And Jarmish is like, nobody move, nobody move, nobody move. And cut. Perfect. Holy shit. Oh, we got it. But when he pushes that, he he like he like barely moves his hand and the chair like rolls perfectly back into place. And Jeffrey Wright seems so unnerved by it. And yes. <laughs> dude, Jeffrey Wright's killer in this. What's the second one he calls him? Uh, he calls him Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange Love and shit. I can't remember what the other one is, but uh, Doctor Caligari. Yeah. Thank you, man. He's <laughs> <laughs> like Doctor, and he always pauses because you get that sense right. he's thinking of it. Caligari. The only everyone's performance in this movie is very naturalistic. We talked about how um, Winona Ryder in uh, Night on Earth is a little bit she's kind of doing like a strange not stilted performance but maybe like presentational presentational performance yes i think the only touch of like i'm gonna call it like jarmish performance where Mm -hmm. you're like doing jarmish's dialogue a certain way because it demands like the kevin smith like the clerk kevin smith yeah yeah. yeah, i think that jeffrey wright is doing a little bit of that here Mm -hmm. because his performance feels like a performance but not in a bad way no he's not as naturalistic as everybody else but it makes sense because he's on edge in a room with a guy who creeps him the fuck out Ian who's buying kind blood. of the same way yeah on his first meeting when they're walking up the stairs i had a moment of oh shit don't do this don't don't act the acting right but then it goes away right and i i think in a way when they're coming up yeah, I didn't notice when he's coming up the stairs, but there's a couple bits where he's sitting on the couch and he's like, yeah, I should get going. Yeah. Yeah, I should really get going, man. Yeah, I'm just going to get going. You know, like yeah. when he's doing that stuff. But then when you, when you like, 
okay, shall I turn my critical eye on and stop weeping over the beauty of this film? You turn your critical eye on and you're like, oh, he's in a room with three people he doesn't know, two, one of whom is his primary source of income, who's been occasionally very weird, has a gun, and has ordered a special weird bullet for an yeah. art project from him. So, like, he's unnerved. Yes. He's, uh, he's understandably uncomfortable. So yes. I'm like, oh, when you put it through that lens, his performance makes total sense. Yep, absolutely. Um... Da, 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 da. We haven't talked about we haven't talked about what the the blood or what the blood might mean yet. No, we haven't. That's a pretty important piece of the of the of the of the piece. Uh, it's an important piece of the piece. It's an important piece of the piece. It's it is life. It's everything, right? So it's their only sense. Only sense. Their only source of mm-hmm. nourishment. Yeah. And there's so much bad blood they can't go and feed. They made the the. I don't know if it's a moral choice or whatever to not feed on live humans. I got the sense that it wasn't so much a moral choice as it, because Adam basically universally dislikes the zombies. Yeah. Eve is sort of indifferent to them, but sees potential. And Christopher Marlowe, we don't really get much of him. Other, He sort of functions as like a confidant and sort of like um, mentor character for Eve primarily. I love that he, oh God, there's a great Marlowe line. We'll jump on the blood really quick, but I just mm-hmm. got to get it out before I forget. When they're sitting on the pier in Tangier and he says, um, you're going back to see that suicidal scoundrel. <laughs> and she goes, Eve goes, do you think he is? And he goes, scoundrel? Most definitely, but blows over the suicidal yeah. bit. And she goes, no. Uh, he's, she says something like he's just a bit bummed out or something like yeah. that and she's trying to convince herself too even though she put it out on the table and they both look away from it immediately yeah. such a fucking great little bit of business but great writing too mm-hmm. um, but yeah the so as far as Adam is concerned he I don't think he gives much of a fuck he, as far as like eating people as eating people because right. he's still drinking human blood they're they're all drinking, they're all human, drinking blood, human blood, yeah. and it's I don't think it's to remove the predation. It's not the like the true blood reason why they, they made a pact or some stupid right, shit. Right, right, right. It's more like this is the most reliable source of clean blood that they can get. Yeah, and I think, maybe if humans weren't tainted, they would still be feeding in some way. I think it's a I think it's a practicality. So here's my theory of the blood. Okay.